0: This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona.
1: Beloved, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee of the purchase price of our lives until the time that our redemption is complete and we are in the very presence of Almighty God. Right now you are being redeemed, but the completeness of that redemption isn't fulfilled until we are in His presence. That's why the Holy Spirit is given as a guarantee that He who began that good work in you will complete it.
0: The Lord has sealed us with the promise of His Spirit in our hearts. We have the guarantee of our salvation and that He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Careful, though, we can still grieve the Holy Spirit when we trifle with sin or we allow the devil to have his way with us. With acts of commission and omission, doing things we shouldn't and not doing things we should, thankfully and in spite of us, the promise the Lord has made will not be broken. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 25, for the conclusion of our message entitled, The Believer's Walk.
1: Now being tried shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, as you shall answer to God on that last great day. Now, any believer, you would say, absolutely, I'm going to tell the truth. But the problem is, a non-believer said, I don't even believe in God. I'll just, I'll just say whatever I want to say. But you and I, as believers, man, we ought to be brothers and sisters who, again, would speak the truth always that when you and I would give our word or or to tell uh, uh, of something to each other that man that that's we could take that to the bank that we could nail that down that is the truth because he is a truth teller she is a truth teller and even as we looked a, a week or two ago speaking the truth in love don't forget that in love portion that's with it can you imagine if we as brothers or sisters and and we wanted to hear what's going on and we thought whoa 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 wait a minute do you swear by Almighty God, the searcher of all hearts, and on and on and on, uh, you know that you're going to stand before Him in the last day? That that's the truth. Well, yeah, that just ought to be how we are. But it's sad when you think of the number of Christians, really, that you actually almost want to put that statement there when they talk to you. It ought not be that way. Paul continues on, and so should we. So, verse 26, he says, "Be angry." And do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. You know, there are some things in this world that you and I as believers, we ought to be angry about. And I pity the believer who doesn't get angry about some things sometimes. Because that means that your morality is just pretty much, it just kind of flows anyway. There ought to be a standard of rightness in our lives that when some things go down, it angers us. That that, that we get that righteous anger. Abortion is wrong and we are right to be angry about abortions that go on in our nation and the amount of abortions that go on in our nation. But you know what? To bomb an abortion clinic, That's sin, and that's wrong. You can be angry about something, but do not sin. It's right to be angry about the moral decay of our nation and to look and see man where where have our morals gone to where uh, again stuff that long ago would have been adults only and now man that's that's the daily tv fare that many of our children watch as they come home from from school during the day it's right for us to be angry about the moral decay in in nearly every facet of our society but to purposefully disrespect or disobey the authorities that are over us, you know what? That's sin. If you don't believe me, read Romans 13, and you tell me that it's not. It's right for us to be angry even about the big waste that, that, that our government has of finances. Huge government waste that, that goes on. It's right for us to be angry about that. The amount of money that is just, man, we, we can't even keep track of it all. It's right and it's normal that we should be angry about that. But you know what? For you and I to knowingly cheat on our taxes... Because I don't believe the government, I don't trust the government, I don't like the way that they spend my money, so I'm going to cheat on my taxes. So I don't—that's sin. And if you don't believe that, then listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 22. What did he say? Render unto Caesar's that—that that is Caesar's, but unto God that—that that is God's. And they lived in the corruption of, of the Roman government there, and yet Jesus said, "No, you—you you, you just render up, you just move on." To be angry that a Christian brother or sister would would mistreat you, that's right. If someone were to do something wrong to you as a brother or sister in Christ, it's right for you to be angry about that. But to continue on in unforgiveness of that brother, then it's sin. That's when it becomes sin. And again, Jesus speaking in Matthew 18 speaks about how we ought to forgive one another. Well, how many times do I have to forgive him? I've already forgiven him once. Uh, How about seven? That's like a real spiritual number. No, 70 times seven. In other words, Jesus says, no, you keep forgiving. Jesus speaks about the fact that we need to forgive as long as we desire the Lord's forgiveness in our own life. We could go on and on with these about being angry but don't sin. But you get the point. In the midst of our anger... We are not to sin. We're not allowed to, to allow the flesh to then overtake us in the midst of that. If we're dealing with wrath or, or vengeance, we give the enemy this, this great opportunity to get a strong foothold into our own life. And every time that we deal with vengeance or with wrath, beloved, the enemy's got his foot in there. And he's going to cause his own will to be done in our lives rather than the will of the Father. That's why Paul continues on to give further Instruction, verse 28. He says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Now, let me ask you this Who is Paul talking to here? He's talking to believers. Okay? If you're stealing, stop it. You would think that that would be like a, a no brainer. But yet, Paul gives that instruction to us, and it's just as valid for us today as believers. We should be the most trusted individuals that this world could imagine. That, that this world would be absolutely at peace if they had a believer working for them, that that worker would, would never, ever steal from them, either in, in resources or in time or in any aspect or in any way as a believer we ought to be trusted to be able to go into the home of anyone and i uh, used to work as a, a service electrician going into people's homes and many times they would say hey you know what the the, the keys under the mat at the front door it had to be trusted that's what we ought to be and that's what the world should expect of every believer he says no man don't steal Go out there and work. As a matter of fact, you work in a way that then you have something to be able to help someone else out. So it's completely opposite of what it was. He says in verse 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Again, this whole idea, this whole aspect of as a believer where we ought to be and the trustworthiness as as believers. Businesses ought to have the idea that, that if they have vacancies in, in in their business and they need to hire somebody, that they could call the local churches and say, hey, I have an opening for three or four people. Send some of your folks my way. And that they would know that they would get honest and, and hardworking individuals. Sad thing, that, that, that doesn't always work, though, does it? Sometimes the, the unfortunate reality is, is is even those who profess Christ as their Savior get into a working situation and they start taking advantage of the employer. I have a friend who was the manager of a business here a few years ago, and, and he told me, he says, you know, I will no longer purposefully just hire Christians because I've been so abused so many times. He says, at least with a non-believer, I know what I'm getting. But when I hire a Christian and I think, okay, this individual I can trust to be upfront and, and forward and honest with the resources of the company, with the time of the company. And time and time and time again, he had been burnt on that situation. He says, I'm not purposefully just going to hire Christians anymore. Because at least with a non-believer, I, I, I'm going to beware, I'm going to be watching, I'm going to look. And man, what a, what a sad declaration is when you get a non-believer who's more honest and more trustworthy than a believer. That tells me that the believer may not really be a believer. When you look at, again, the fruit of their lives. Fortunately, that's not always the case. A few years ago when Chick-fil-A moved into town, and the manager called our church as well as a few other churches, says, Hey, we have a lot of openings in our business. We'd like to have some honest, hardworking individuals. Do you have some within your church? Just send them down. And so it made me proud as a pastor to be able to give recommendations of a number of our fellowship who either used to work there or are still working there. People that you can trust on. Why? Because they are believers. Because they hold themselves and they are held to a higher standard than the world. The next thing Paul gives is by way of instruction, by way of clarity, is found in verse 30. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. There's two things I want to cover here, and, and I'm going to take them backwards uh, from the way that Paul presents them. The first thing I want to talk about is actually the second thing that he says there, that sealing work of the Holy Spirit. He, he, he talks about the Holy Spirit as being given to us as, as believers, as a form of preservation, sealed for the day of redemption. I have a, uh, many of my aunts, uh, but one in particular I know in, in Louisiana does a lot of canning. And once she, she cans something, she seals it, and it seals it, and it's good for a long, long, long time. I wouldn't say forever, but uh, it, it is sealed, and, and the reason the sealing is done is to preserve it, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit within the life of a believer. He is given within our life as that seal, as that preservation in our lives, that keeping factor. We talked about it earlier in Ephesians. Flip back over to chapter 1, verses uh, 13 and 14. Paul speaks about it right there. He says, in him, speaking of in Christ, he says, in him you also trusted, again, speaking to the believers, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? He speaks also in Second Corinthians, very similar thing in Second Corinthians chapter one. He says, "Now he who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee." Beloved, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee of the purchase price of our lives until the time that our redemption is complete and we are in the very presence of Almighty God. Right now you are being redeemed, but the completeness of that redemption isn't fulfilled until we are in His presence. That's why the Holy Spirit is given as a guarantee that He who began that good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's why he's given the Holy Spirit as that seal, as that preservation, that keeping power of Almighty God within our lives. He's begun in us a work that he will complete because he's given his spirit of promise in our lives. And when the Holy Spirit comes in our lives, it is the guarantee of God, of what God is working and doing in our lives. Getting back to that first portion of the statement, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I find it absolutely an amazing reality, again, of God's faithfulness, of of God's willingness to work with us, that although he uses the work of the Holy Spirit as that seal of the assurance of our salvation, we can still grieve the Holy Spirit even as he remains as the guarantee of our salvation. We can still grieve him in the work that he desires to do within our lives. And that speaks about the personality of of the reality of the truth of the person of the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit of God within us when we trifle with sin, when we give opportunity for the devil to have his way with us, when we allow the things of this world to interfere in our relationship and, and, and walk with the Lord. When we look to please ourselves or even those around us over our desire to please the Lord. We grieve the Holy Spirit of God through acts of commission as well as acts of omission. Acts of commission, the things that we do are those things, we we grieve the Spirit of God when we do the wrong things. But we also grieve Him in the acts of omission by not doing the things that we should do. That's a grieving of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We grieve the Holy Spirit of God in our lives through both outward acts as well as inward thoughts. What did Jesus say about the Pharisees? He said, yeah, but you're filled with dead men's bones. You look like a whitewashed tomb. You look really nice on the outside. But on the inside, you're filled with dead men's bones. You see, even our thoughts can grieve the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder. If you have lust for someone in your mind, you, you've already committed adultery. Because Jesus knows that, man, our thoughts impact our lives too. And it grieves the Holy Spirit of God, both outward acts as well as inward thoughts. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we, we disconnect ourselves from that source that is our comfort. From the source that is our 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 peace when we disconnect ourselves through grieving of the Holy Spirit of God, we no longer have the guidance and and the clarity of purpose that we need to have as believers. We find that the one who is is both our seal and our direct connection with the Father has now become very quiet. And as believers, suddenly, man, I don't hear God anymore. I don't hear the Spirit of God moving. And Man, I read His Word and it's just ink on paper. I pray, my prayers get eight feet high, and boom, they crash down to the floor again. There's no real connection with the Lord, because the fellowship has been broken because of that grieving of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Beloved, I want to let you know where I'm at and what I believe the Bible is very clear about. When we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, when He is our guarantor, of what God is doing in our lives when we become the one who is espoused to Christ as our groom and we as his bride beloved I don't believe that God is going to divorce us I don't believe that God is going to remove that guarantee I don't believe that he's going to take away his promissory note from us but we can definitely suffer by a brokenness of fellowship with him and suddenly that, 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 that hand of covering and protection of the Lord being pulled away and removed and we're, we're left to our own course and suddenly we're suffering because of the consequences of our own stupidity and our own sin. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Because when we grieve the Holy Spirit of God because of what we do or by what we don't do by outward acts or by inward thoughts, by trifling with sin, by allowing the enemy a foothold, then suddenly, man, we don't have the direction. We don't have the compass anymore. And suddenly we find ourselves in situations that, yes, we're going to suffer because of the consequences of it. And so often I hear believers say, I don't know what happened. Why did God allow this to happen in my life? Because you push so hard to get out from underneath this covering. Maybe that's the situation. The consequences of our sin, just like David, King David had to deal with the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba. But that didn't mean that God no longer loved David. As a matter of fact, the love and the covering of of God over King David was continually there. But yet, King David had to live with the consequences of his sin. Not only the brokenness of, of his his own life, the death of that child, but his own family became so dysfunctional because he himself chose to go his own way, move his own way, rather than being led by the Spirit of God. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we fail to pay heed to that gentle wooing. You see, it's that still, small voice that we need to be quiet enough to be able to hear. So many times we just push so hard, so fast, in so many directions. I didn't hear him when he said, turn left. And I kept going straight, or I turned right. Maybe it's time to be still, and to hear, and to listen. Back down, slow down a bit. He goes on, final two verses, verse thirty one, he says, and again, speaking to believers. These ought to be no brainers for us, folks, but it still needs to be heard today. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That all bitterness, that's, that's grudges, that's inner hatred. You know what, what bitterness is? Bitterness and, and unforgiveness kind of along the same line. That's me taking poison and drinking poison, hoping that you will die. That, that's what bitterness and unforgiveness is. It's the attitude, well, if I, if I keep drinking this poison of bitterness and, and anger and unforgiveness in my life, you're going to suffer because of it. Doesn't make sense to me, but that's the reality in a lot of people's lives who live their entire lives with unforgiveness and with bitterness of what's gone on in the past. Maybe it's time this morning that you release those things, that you allow the Lord to do that healing work in your life. He says, do away with wrath, and that's that desire to cause injury, rather spiritual, emotional, or physical injury. Anger. This isn't the same kind of anger that he spoke about earlier, about being angry and and, and don't sin. This is an anger that that carries with it the idea of revenge. Anger that's now brought on this desire of, I'll get even with you. What a destructive thing that is in a believer's life. Evil speaking, that slandering or backbiting. or Well, let me just share with you what happened to so-and-so. Boy, that's 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 not an unnormal thing happening within Christian circles. We share a lot of things that maybe we ought not be sharing. Maybe what we ought to do, be doing is praying instead of slandering one another and speaking evil about one another. He says, and put away from you all malice. Literally, the word means all, all badness, all depravity, the wickedness. Do away with all of those things. He says, what kind of people ought we to be? Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. For you who are believers, there is no situation, no situation in your life, according to God's Word and by the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, where you should not forgive, where you should not be a person who walks in forgiveness. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what happened to me. I don't know, and many times I don't care to know. Believe me. Uh, but the fact is, is God knows. God knows the greatness of, of the evil that's been done to you. But that does not lessen your responsibility to say, you know what, I forgive. And I'm not going to let that be a chain around my own neck. Choking me to death for the rest of my life. I'm going to forgive that. Now, that doesn't mean that you continue on under the same situation. Now, that would be foolishness. But you can forgive and move on. He says you ought to love one another. The world ought to look at the Christian community and say, man, those guys are crazy. They, they, they love each other even to their own fault. I mean, they're willing to give of themselves to the point that they don't have anything to be able to help and to bless somebody else. They're, they're giving of their time. They're giving of their efforts in, in every aspect of their lives. They, they, they demonstrate this love in real practical ways. Not just the fact of coming in on a Sunday morning and say, well, good morning, brother. Hey, I love you, man. And move on in real, true, practical ways of loving one another. And one of the ways that we do that yeah, forgiving one another. But another way that Paul speaks about is bearing with one another. And for you and I to be a demonstration to the world of the reality that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Now know you're my disciples by your love one for another. And beloved, that's more than just yakking it, more than just speaking it. It's living it rest of what Paul is going to give us in chapter 5 and chapter 6 speaks about that practical application of how that love works. How that love works as as we uh, work within each other in in the community of believers, how we work together as the family of Christ, how husbands and wives ought to love and care and forgive each other. Uh, Again, all of it works together in it. That the church would be the church and not just go to church. Amen.
0: We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word teachings are always available to you free of charge, if you'd like to help support this ministry, simply log on to the website TheOpenWord.com and click on the support link to make a secure donation to this teaching ministry. Your donation can be set up as a one-time or regular scheduled tax-deductible gift. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.